0: Look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More than money with the Popowich Carmeli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy on News Talk 770.
1: Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmeli. my co-host here, Dave Popowitch. I'm excited. About? I'm pumped. About? Finally, we get to do this on the 11th of September live more than money show it's our our candidates of the uh, federal election coming in and we're going to talk about and interview them on what's their platform for people who are transitioning to or living in retirement i think they've been ignored in this election so far i think it's time that you know people who are thinking about their retirement focused on their retirement living in retirement they're going to have a lot of concerns and questions so this is a chance that we get to do our first live event while we're doing this live event individuals or attendees of that session get to ask their questions. Fantastic. So we're going to be doing that. So if you want to attend to our live More Than Money show, where we're going to have candidates of this federal election there to answer your questions, to address your concerns, go to mtmlive.ca to register for this. That's mtmlive.ca to register. It's
0: going to be an awesome event. We look forward to seeing you
1: there. (sighs) Are you ready for a market pullback?
0: What? Do you think people are ready for a market pullback?
1: Okay, What are you talking about here? There's some risks in the market.
2: Yeah.
0: Let's talk about what happened in the market that may lead people, should lead there people to question whether or not they're positioned properly in today's environment.
1: Now I know what you're talking about. Okay. So do I think there's going to be a pullback in the market or a correction? Mm. Yeah. Do I think we need to be aware of some of the tell signs? Right. One of the easiest tell signs is we just came out of a pandemic that had a major closure in the market in and yeah. the economy in Canada. And now we're opening and we're opened up more now than we were last year. Yet we have a GDP number gross to pe- domestic product number. That's negative in the last reading.
0: Yep. in Q too. So wait a second here. Because the experts said we were going to get two and a half percent. That was the expectation.
1: Yeah. <laughs> swing and a miss. Swing and a miss. Let's talk about uh, jobs numbers in yep. the US. Now, this is a one data point, not the official mm-hmm. trend, but the one data point saying swing and a miss. Swing and a miss, right? Right? We're seeing earnings not growing as fast as they were last quarter, quarter over quarter. Yep. So They're maybe growing.
0: We've hit, maybe we've hit peak earnings growth, right? Maybe.
1: We're now hearing about potential peak stimulus. Mm-hmm. Now, people are hearing the word stimulus. We're talking about checks in people's hands so they can spend immediately. Right. We're seeing a decline of that as people get there, go back to work. Yep. We're going to see a decline of that stimulus check, the, the, the EI the other types of benefit programs out there as we get through this. So we're having peak stimulus, potentially peak earnings and a slowdown in the economy. Right. All the same time. Right. That that's a nice recipe of something going to happen in the market.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the, I talk to lots of people as do you and, and, you know, anecdotally there's lots of positions, but the position that scares me the most is the pile on trade. It's this momentum trade. Things can only go higher. Just pile in, yeah. right? What could possibly go wrong? We see this every time, right? And and so Follow I- Follow the herd. Th- yeah, the herd. That's right. And it's a, it's a FOMO issue, right? A fear of missing out. I got to be there. There's some risks
1: to that. This and, is my analogy for this. Have you ever gone out of a hockey game before the pandemic, of course, and you're just following the cars out of the parking lot and then you're all going in the same direction. You realize the back at right. the very front goes, oh dead end. Yep. And then everybody has to turn back around. Yep. That's what's happening right now. Yeah. we're all and, following the same car. and
0: and And listen, structure and discipline we talk about a lot also. So we've got to be investors need to, I think, consider their positioning, consider their strategy. If you've done well in your equity portfolio, do you let it ride? Do you keep all the chips on the table? Do you rebalance? All kinds of decisions that need to be made here. To make sure that you're properly structured in your
1: discipline and that's why i like this show today we're going to talk about what you can expect from your portfolio yep. how to profit and protect in your portfolio we're going to we're going to focus on one of our guests today mm-hmm. on that yep. and then also the demand for private travels up we're definitely going to talk about that we're going to make how traveling in a private jet is achievable it's an achievable experience for many canadians that's going to be interesting too you yep. might be the next customer or well, i might be with your money we'll find out
2: <laughs> we'll find out be. if i'm going to
1: spend your money on this and of course <laughs> We talk about how to how to bulletproof your retirement right. all the time. Every month we talk about this and we'd love to have you join us at our next oncoming se- uh, seminar, Tuesday, September 21st, 7 p.m. live online. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
0: All right, you stole a bit of my thunder, but listen, private travel may not be just for the ultra wealthy. People still want to travel, Faisal, we know that, but the pandemic has changed lots of things. And I think, I think one of the things amongst that is our necess- our comfort level, perhaps, desire, I'm not sure what the right word is, but to be in big crowds, going through airports, traveling in you know big airplanes. And that's not the only way that you have to travel. Private travel is something that is gaining in popularity in part because of the pandemic. We're going to talk about that today because it's not just for the rich and the famous. People will be surprised. But before we do that, we've got this little thing called an election coming up. Small thing. Yeah. yeah. And there's a ton <laughs> of questions, right? People have a ton of questions and a ton of concerns. The, We're going to try to help them with the that.
1: The individuals who I think have been uh, not included in part of the campaign are the people who are approaching to or living in retirement. Yep. Uh Let's call it the 50 plus crowd. Though, though that demographic really hasn't had a chance to have their voice heard had their chance to maybe ask questions about what's the uh, what's the different parties and their views about how they're going to help that demographic. And so we're going to host a live more than money show uh, Saturday, September the 11th at 10 a.m. at the Glenmore Inn. Now, if you'd like to participate, be in the audience and have your questions answered, uh, you can join us by registering at mtmlive.ca. That's mtmlive.ca. Okay. We look forward to seeing you there. Now let's
0: get back to this issue about travel. I want to travel. Everybody wants to travel. We've had to put trips on, but I've got this discomfort. And so let's talk about travel for a minute. Nobody better to help us understand what's happening than Jeremy Austin, who's the managing uh, director of Jetit Canada. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Thank you. Okay, my man, I'm going to give you a chance here because when we think about private travel and private jets, we think about lifestyles of the rich and famous, right? These are the billionaires flying around the world (laughs) and doing their thing. Is that true? No, not at all. In fact,
3: we've, uh, we've developed a model of fractional ownership where we can you know people can have access to private travel and the comfort and safety and you highlighted post pandemic as well and, and go to place to place with more control of the environment that they're in.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so tell us first of all a little about, a little bit about Jetit, what it is and, and sort of the space that you're trying to fill for people. Absolutely. So we are a fractional
3: ownership company. You own a piece of a private jet. We manage all the operations for you and you share that resources with other people. Not at the same time, obviously, but it's your aircraft when you want it. And then you can fly in the, the convenience of, of an aircraft to a, um, you know, a private terminal where you, you mentioned crowds and space that, that there's not as much of that and, and it's a more controlled
1: environment. So, Jeremy, what caught my attention um, is something that Dave has been really talking about uh, on this program about how you know some of the things you can do in your retirement. It's achievable. It's it's not that it ha- it, people think it's very expensive. And when when I saw what you guys are doing here in Canada, the first thing I thought about, Jeremy, how achievable it is. And I'm going to use the number twenty two hundred dollars. Walk us through where that $2,200 comes from, what people could expect in the old ways of chartering or having a private jet, what you are, your company is doing, and where does that $2,200, something very achievable for many Canadians, uh, how does that work? Absolutely. So it's $2,200
3: an hour Canadian. And that's for an occupied hour in the aircraft. So only the time that you're flying in the aircraft, compare that with charter, where charter, you may have to reposition an aircraft from point to point to get it to you to take you on that trip, you have to pay for that whole loop. With us, it's $2,200 an hour while you're on the airplane. So as an example, if you're going from, you know, Calgary to Winnipeg or Calgary to Vancouver, we bring the airplane to you in Calgary and then take you to your destination. You're only paying for that time on there. And if you've got four people on the airplane, let's say, you know, $2,200 an hour for a flight down to Vancouver, right? You divide that by a headcount. You know, it's a, it's a pretty economical way to travel. Wow. it's an
0: achievable experience, right? It might be a little bit more or less, I don't know, right, than yeah. a, a, a commercial airliner. But you get the benefit of the, the, you traveling with the people you want. Jeremy, maybe actually that's a good question. Maybe you could walk us through what that experience would be from somebody who, who's booked a ticket from the time that they get to the airport, where do they go, board it, and then and then to their destination. Because the I, I, I truly believe there's a lot of people that are going to be very nervous about traveling and therefore they're going to be deferring some of these amazing experiences that they wanted to have for fear that you know, they're going to be around crowds and so on and so forth. So maybe just walk us through what an experience would be. Sure. So right from the
3: start, you reach out to our 24-7 concierge and tell them where you want to go and when and with whom, and then we come and get you and take you there. So we will arrange for the location where you'll depart from and the one that you will arrive at. Uh, If you need ground transportation on either side of that trip, we'll help arrange for that as well. If you need accommodations or anything else in between, but it's a one call. So, you know, you go to the local, you know, fixed base operator where you board the aircraft. Um, You know, often you can drive right to the aircraft with your car. The the team loads your bags onto the airplane and then the car goes away with a valet and gets parked. It's that simple.
1: When it comes to being a fractional ownership, I, I keep on thinking of, uh, you know, golf memberships or mm-hmm. other types of business models that have this this type of setup. Usually there is a upfront fee you pay into the membership yep. and then you pay your hourly rate. So two questions I have for you. Let's talk about the mechanics of the payment and how does that kind of sure. work. And number two, this the plane itself, because Dave no matter what hourly rate you charge, Dave is still cheap. He won't want to pay the whole thing. <laughs> so he wants to load up as many, he calls them friends. We just call them people that we know. Um, Uh, he wants to load up as many people. So the head count per dollar, everybody else to pay. So he kind of gets in for free. That's how Dave is, (laughs) but let's, let's kind of walk through the, the experience from that, from that ownership perspective. And then let's talk about the the plane itself. Absolutely. So
3: every, um, every owners, you, uh, Situation or needs are a little bit unique, so from a pricing standpoint, we can connect them with a sales representative that will tailor a package that suits them. So it's a it's a one time capital cost that you buy, you own a piece of the aircraft, and then depending on your utilization rate, there's a there's a annual management fixed cost fee as well. Again, you know that'll get tailored to what your overall needs and demands are, and then your flight time that we spoke about after that is at twenty two hundred dollars an hour occupied time only. So it's the three components, the, the capital purchase, the, the maintenance, uh, the management fee and fixed costs, and then the hourly costs that uh, that you have while you're on board. And we're a days based model as well. So you can use as many hours as you want In the day that you've booked the aircraft, you're not limited other than by, you know, regulatory duty days, but it's not, uh, you know, you don't have a cap on the hours that you can use per year. If you end up flying, you know, four or five hours in one day, that's okay. If it's more, that's okay, too. If it's less, there's no minimums, there's no maximums. It's your day, you can do what you want with the aircraft.
0: Okay, well, that sounds... I like that. It sounds interesting, right? So, tell us. I'm, I'm very interested in Jeremy. Um, if I've been sort of espousing anecdotal evidence about what we hear from clients and their experience and their concerns and fears, so are you seeing uh, are you seeing this play out in the marketplace where there is an increased demand or interest for this kind of a service versus you know the commercial, uh, just taking commercial flights
3: yeah, we've been um, we've been really, really happy with the response that we've had. There are a lot of folks that are exploring different ways to travel. Yeah. Uh, the pandemic has certainly helped uh, fuel that interest and desire. Folks are needing to travel for business reasons still, and another way to do it—personal um, reasons. I think there's pent-up demand, and people want to go places and see their loved ones. And you know, everybody has their own their own reasons to do it. But certainly, this is this has helped peak that demand. On top of that, with our model, you know, it's affordable, and we're breaking down barriers to entry. Um, you know, we, we, we're doing a new thing here, and it's uh, it's being very well received.
1: Jeremy, let's talk about the plane and how, what, what is it—the capacity and all the bells and whistles within the plane and and how far can this plane go like can we travel anywhere in the world
3: can you travel it's a it's a light jet you can go i would say you call it a north american aircraft that you can travel from where you guys are to, you know, Arizona, Southern California is within reach. From Eastern Canada, Toronto down to South Florida as well. You know, typically six passengers or up to six passengers in the back, and um, and you know that sort of Southern U.S. destination would be would be a nonstop flight that you could do. You know, occasionally if you want to do longer flights. You could, uh, you know, do a stop along the way. We have um, a sister company over in Europe called Jet Club. And so if you're in Europe, you can use the Jet Club aircraft as well to move around within Europe.
0: Jeremy, can you get East Coast to Europe? Is, is it, uh, can it go transatlantic in that respect? This aircraft's not designed for that. <laughs> um, you know, from a ferry purpose
3: standpoint, to get it over there, you, you could do it. But that, that's not the main mission of this aircraft. Gotcha.
1: Think all about right. all our snowbirds in Canada. Oh yeah, and think about yeah, yeah. how many of, how many people do we know, either <clears throat> clients or or listeners and viewers of the show, that have a property down south, Arizona, California, and they zip in and out. They they go there, they spend a couple of weeks. Uh, one of the spouses stays there; the other one comes back. Um, people rush during tax time to get back and yep. get their taxes yep. organized, and then get out a dodge because of uh, because of the snowfall, like. So convenient. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is a really cool idea.
0: Yeah. I think this falls into that idea of achievable experience, but we're trying to really sort of bring together ideas, right? Maybe it's not for everybody but it is achievable for many, many Canadians.
1: Jeremy, I have Dave Popp, which is credit card number on my phone right here. So I will be talking to your sales reps so we can we can book something because it's it's better than $2,200 an hour when it's your money online. Yeah, exactly.
0: So this is perfect. <laughs> it's like perfect. almost free when you spend my money. Hey?
1: You know, Jeremy, I want to thank you for joining us today. We will follow up. We want to uh, get more information and learn about the services that your company offers. And if anybody's interested, how do they get in touch with you?
3: They can uh, go to gojetit.ca, and
0: uh, one of our representatives will uh, be happy to follow up with them. Great. Jeremy, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. All right. We've had Jeremy Austin, Managing Director of Jetit Canada on. Uh, market's going to crash. Should people be prepared? Are they prepared? Is their strategy the right strategy?
1: This is a big topic, Dave. There's a lot of people out there that have made some good money in the markets over the last couple of years and the turnaround. What's interesting is how people are still focused, A, on the short term, B, on the market itself.
0: On a market.
1: Right. So (laughs) when you have long term success in as a portfolio manager, Mm -hmm. you need to kind of understand what the portfolio manager thinks understands what they're looking for and what they're looking for. Right. right? And so our job is not only to talk about what we do, but what other successful portfolio managers around the world are doing. And we've had a great partnership with EdgePoint investment group. We've had a great partnership uh, in regards to how their philosophy approach and strategy works for their investors. Right. It works. The question is how, right. Right. And so let's bring let's bring our reoccurring guest on the show and talking about this. Absolutely. One. We're welcome. to We're welcoming back uh, Ty
0: Besat as a portfolio manager and the founding partner at Edgepoint Investment Group. Ty, thanks for taking some time with us, man. It's good to see you again.
2: Dave and Faisal, thanks very much for having me today. It's great to be well, with you.
0: Well, let's let's maybe talk a little bit about um, about this, this market. Ty, we're getting a lot of questions uh, from people about, well, from two sides. It's kind of, hey, you know. Uh, everything's just going straight up. It just keeps going, right? Load up on risk, keep going. What could possibly go wrong? That's one side. And the other side is, oh my gosh, this thing is uh, is peak and ready, you know, it's ready to crash. So maybe just give us a sense. We'll start the conversation on on where where you guys sit, where, you, where you're positioning right now.
2: Sure, absolutely. Happy to. You know, I've been doing this for about 25 years, managing money professionally for about that period of time. And during that period of time, I could honestly say that I've rarely seen an opportunity for the average investor out there to do as poorly over the next decade as I do right now. And the reason I say that has to do with entry price. If you look at the entry price of the stock market or the entry price of the fixed income market, and I'm talking about general stock market levels and general fixed income levels now, uh, they've rarely been this high. And in fact, if you go back over the last 120 years, and you think about running an average portfolio with maybe 60% equities in it and then a 40% fixed income in the last 120 years, there have been six periods of time that have lasted about a decade each, where the average return of a 60 equities, 40 fixed income portfolio have delivered zero over that decade, six periods of time where you've gotten zero. And all six periods of time started with High entry prices, high valuations to enter, either on the fixed income side or the equity side in that portfolio. And what's interesting today is if you look at the equity valuations from an entry price perspective or the fixed income valuations, they're both very high at the same time. And if you look at the pre at the previous six periods in the last 120 years, mm-hmm. either one or the other of those valuations were high, but not both. And now you're looking at high valuations on both sides. So I think you have to tread very carefully.
1: Ty uh, and Dave, uh, when you were talking about that, Ty, what what struck my mind is, let's assume that this is one of those periods that the next 10 years, we'll have to accept a lower than average rate of return. Let's assume that that's what the market's 60% equities, 40% fixed income. The next 10 years are the most crucial from a demographic perspective. Mm -hmm. When you look at the amount of people that are going to be turning into the retirement phase of their life that are now dependent on the rate of return to reach their income goals in retirement, this is a crucial time in their lives. So they've been accustomed to the last 10 years getting fairly good rates of return they will expect that going forward if what tai is saying comes out to be true and they're going to be very low rates of return that could decimate their retirement not in the first 10 years but the next 10 years after that and the 10 years after that so this is a very crucial period in time when we look at what's happened in history from a valuation perspective and where we are demographically in our in our in our country this is a huge point. This is why you and I built this practice the way we do. So, Ty, when we're looking at that issue, what does a portfolio need to look like going forward, knowing what you know and where the valuations are?
2: Thanks, Faisal. I think, I think the answer uh, lays in the investment approach. So if you think about what our investment approach is, um, it, it's really based on the idea of going out and finding a small group of companies that can grow materially into the future, so say the next 5, 7, 10 years, where you're not being asked to pay for that growth today. When market valuations are higher, it's harder to find that small group, but not impossible. We have a team here of people scouring the world on a daily basis to find that small group of companies. And then once we find one, we invest behind, with, we invest behind it with conviction. So the idea, and quite frankly, the only path we see right now to add value Globally, um, for for the end investor, is really to just go out and find that small group of businesses and buy their future growth without paying for that future growth today. Now, when the if you look at the S and P 500, for example, over 20 percent of the S and P 500 is trading at a valuation of over 50 times earnings, five zero times earnings. That is very high relative to history. And what people are doing is, is they're all, they all seem to be congregating in the same types of businesses, which gives us an opportunity to look elsewhere, look at names that may not be household names and buy some growth and not pay for it. So we've been very active in markets like Japan, for example, or finding new ideas in Europe. If you were to look at our portfolio, they wouldn't be the household names, but they're the names that we believe should be able to add material value going forward from the perspective of buying growth and not paying for it.
1: Ty, when we talk about um, where you're going, you also have to look at where you should stay away from. And so there's areas in the world, there's markets in the world that are a no-go for you. Yeah. There are certain types of industries at this point in time that are a no-go for you. Walk walk us through where the areas of the no-go zone is for, for your, your team.
2: Yeah. Faisal, I would say that... Uh... I want to pin it down to areas of the market per se, or sectors of the market. What I would do when it comes to our team is is think about uh, consensus thinking. So the areas that are really no-go for us is where there seems to be a very broad-based consensus because consensus is an awesome thing in most industries in the world. If you think about being a doctor or think about going in for a heart surgery, you want consensus among the doctors on how to do that heart surgery before you get the heart surgery. Or if you're about to go into a tall building, like the one I'm sitting in right now, I want consensus among the engineers on how to build that building before I come in it. But in our industry, consensus is a recipe for long-term underperformance. If you invest in line with consensus, history has shown that that usually results in long-term underperformance, which is counterintuitive because most professions out there, most of your listeners out there don't operate in the investment industry. They operate in industries where consensus is beneficial. Mm -hmm. So if you think about where there's broad-based consensus today, I would say it's in in a lot of the areas that are the work from home areas, right? The big tech names, for example, would be broad-based consensus that there are very high quality companies And they have a bunch of tailwinds right now because of the work from home and COVID and people just take comfort from investing in those because there's a lot of people who've invested in those and everyone's familiar with the story around them. But here's the problem again. If you invest in line with consensus, history has shown that you typically underperform over the next decade or so. Let me give you a very quick example, if you don't mind. And if you, if you look, if you go back to the 1980s and you look at the 10 largest businesses on planet earth back in the 1980s, the majority of them were around oil and gas because at that time the price of oil was skyrocketing and it was consensus thinking that all you wanted to do was buy these oil and gas companies. So guess what? The majority of the 10 largest companies in the world were oil and gas companies. That didn't work out so well. You fast forward 10 years, and it wasn't oil and gas companies anymore. It was now the Japanese, because in the late 1980s, it was all about Japan and the idea that Japan was going to take over the rest of the world. So Everyone plowed into that at the end, making the Japanese the 10 largest businesses in the world, or Japanese companies, I'm going to say eight out of the 10 largest businesses in the world during that period of time. Again, that didn't work out so well because 30 years later, you still haven't made your money back. Fast forward another decade and then it was technology, media and telecom and broad based consensus that that's where you had to invest. Guess what happened? That didn't work out so well with the dot com boom. And then you fast forward to 2010. and It was all about emerging markets. Emerging markets are going to take over the world. Get yourself into China as fast as possible. And I think we know the story about how that played out with emerging market names. And again, by the way, if you look at the 10 largest businesses back in 2010, well, the majority of them were emerging market businesses or energy related businesses or commodity related businesses playing on emerging markets. You fast forward to today, Faisal, back to your uh, question. And you look at the 10 largest businesses today and eight out of the 10 largest businesses on planet earth today are different again. They are businesses that are related to the work from home, the tech story that everyone's very familiar with. So what we tend to do is, is avoid consensus thinking, because again, history hasn't looked favorably on investing in line with consensus.
0: Faisal, we're talking a little bit about uh, how to position yourself. Some of the risks in the market, valuations are high, perhaps the first time in history, right? Bond prices are high, interest uh, yields are low. We've got uh, many of the top quality names that people are invested in trading at
1: exceedingly high
0: valuations compared to history? What do you do?
1: Here's an answer I've been hearing from a lot of our peers in the industry. Just buy the index. Okay. Just buy the index, you'll be fine. Long-term, own the index, you'll be fine. You know that I, this is where four-letter words come out of my mouth when this time (laughs) this thing happens because I don't believe in that. I don't see that that's actually true. No one just, anybody who's done very well over the long-term, Warren Buffett, Best example, doesn't just buy the index. Right. That's not his business. He talks about it. He says the average person should just do it. But the minute you start getting into a portfolio management, either you're doing it yourself, you're working with an advisor, yeah. you're hiring a mutual fund manager, you're, you're investing in a pension. These are professionals. And these professionals, if they're just buying indexes, this is a problem.
0: Well, and, and listen, we're joined by Ty uh, Basada. And, and in the first segment, he identified... That this is a period of history that might be quite unique. And the average investor could get them into a position into sales into a position where they may get no return for 10 years if you position, if you if you enter the market at the wrong point. Yeah. This is really critical as you are identified. We've got a whole mass of people moving into retirement relying on their savings to support their lifestyle. So we're joined by uh, well, I guess Ty, you've been good enough to stick around. Ty Basada, who's a portfolio manager and the founding partner, one of the founding partners at Edgepoint Investment Group. Ty, I want to talk a little bit about indexes, if you will. raise raises, just put your money into an index. Um, I want to maybe broaden that comment a little bit. Some of the experiences that people have that I see working with retail investment clients is they tend to shift their, their focus a lot. And they look at whatever the best performing index is on any given year, month, quarter, whatever it might be, And it's constant disappointment, right? Because you're never going to beat the Jamaican index when the Jamaican index,
1: you know, goes through the roof. Well, it was interesting. Last year, um, people were coming up to us from this show saying, how did you do versus the S&P 500? Right. Or the NASDAQ. This year, they're saying, how did you do versus the TSX? Right. The same people. Right. Picking different indexes, comparing how did you do versus (laughs) that. And it's not relevant
0: to their strategy either.
1: Correct. So, Ty... EdgePoint has done very well over the long term. The performance has been fantastic. The value and the uh, more important, the volatility- The risk, that's right. The risk that someone takes in in regards to your portfolios, the risk that they take and the return they get for that risk is phenomenal. When we look at that over the long term, what when we hear people say, why don't we just invest in the index or how have you done versus the index? How do you respond to comments like that?
2: I think it's fair to compare an investment manager to an index over the very long term, because that's where you could weigh the success of the investment approach. But to compare a manager over the short term, say one, two or three years to an index is uh, can lead to a less-than-optimum outcome for the end investor. And, And here's why. It's very difficult to materially outperform an index over the long term if you look like the index in the short term. Oftentimes, managers who can outperform over long periods of time have to zig when the market's zagging. That's how you can create the raw material to outperform in the long term. We have uh, done a ton of work on this and uh, we could show that if you pick great investment managers that everyone would be familiar with, like a Warren Buffett, for example, or a Charlie Munger, individuals like that, they go through material periods of time of <laughs> underperformance. But if you look at, and and you could look at periods of three years or four years of underperformance, but then if you look at their long-term track record, you see massive success. And the reason is, is coming back to the idea that you can't beat the index if you look exactly like it. And a good investment strategy can prove its worth over the long-term, as you highlighted our approach has been able to do over the long-term.
0: How would you advise clients or or respond to people when they're thinking about how they're going to determine investment success? And I'm going back to this thing about jumping around, right? We see a lot of this. um, I'm not sure that, that strategy is well understood
1: right amongst retail investors well let's take it one step above that it's not even retail it's people it's peers in our industry that don't even talk about that yeah fair enough right fair enough. so let's assume that the individual investor is being advised by an advisor right and they are always comparing their performance to some benchmark year over year and they change the benchmark every year right right look how I did against this market or look how I did against that market right when you start talking to professional portfolio managers I'm not yep. investment advisors, I'm yep. talking about professional yep. portfolio managers, we do not compare ourselves to the market de jour. We don't compare ourselves to the market over a short period of time. So, Ty, when we, when we start going through these issues, give some, give some um, ideas for individual investors. And hey, there are other advisors listening to the show as well. Give them some advice on how they actually should build a portfolio.
2: Well, uh, my, my, I think it has to start with finding an advisor that uh, you have faith in, because at the end of the day, the advisor is going to help navigate you through the difficult periods of the market. So they're the ones that are going to help you emotionally deal with the markets being down. And in addition to that, they're also going to be the ones that help you find the managers whose approaches that you could buy into. I think that's critical because when the markets are down and um, you're experiencing the emotions of the markets being down, if you have a belief in the underlying investment approach and you understand what the managers that you own are trying to do for you, it makes it a lot easier to stick through the tough times in order to get the long-term performance of that manager. So I think first and foremost, it starts with finding an advisor that you can uh, have a good relationship with. And then after that, it, it comes down to really understanding the investment approaches that you've bought into, because if you understand the investment approach that you've bought into, and it's going to just give you a higher level of comfort, our investment approach is predicated on the simple idea of buying a business and not paying for its future growth. And quite frankly, That means that volatility is our friend. And what that means is is when the share prices fall, and if we think that business could continue to grow into the future, that just means that we could buy more of that business for the Uh, for the end investor and get more upside in the future because it's a lower price today. So we actually embrace downside volatility, those periods of downside volatility that seem to come with a fair amount of regularity, especially these days, because it's allowed us to add value. If you look at the majority of the value that we've created over time for our end investors, the end clients, what ends up happening is, is, you could pretty much peg the majority of that value creation to those periods of time where there's extreme downside volatility in the market, where everyone else is very afraid and we're sticking to our investment approach. We're buying those businesses where we're not being asked to pay for growth. Today, and we're getting that future growth for free. So I think it starts with the advisor and then it has to move to the investment approach. Do you understand what your managers are trying to do for you? And in our case, we have a relatively simple to understand investment approach. It doesn't mean that everyone agrees with it, but it's one that's been time tested and that we've followed successfully.
1: Understanding what the portfolio manager's approach and process is important. So what we can learn from this, if you're an individual investor doing it on your own, or you're working with an advisor, that's the question to ask. What's the process? If that advisor provides you with a fund, an ETF, a mutual fund, a pool, whatever it may be, ask your advisor, what's the process that that manager goes through? If they don't understand it, they can't articulate it. That's a question about the advisor, not the portfolio manager.
0: Well, in, in individual positions, they're better. I'm going to use two words that we use often because Ty is talking about structure and discipline. Absolutely. Structure and discipline through time okay, is what will get you those results. And we have to talk about structure and discipline in our upcoming seminar.
1: We're going to show you how to bulletproof your retirement using structure and discipline on Tuesday, September 21st, 7 p.m. Live online. You need to register for this. So go to morethanmoneyradio.com. That's morethanmoneyradio.com to register.
0: Ty, I want to thank you very much for your time and your effort. And I love the way you put that story together. I hope that resonates with people and it helps them create a comfort uh, in in seeking out the information they need right, to feel comfortable that their investment managers and, and the portfolio is doing what it's supposed to do.
2: Dave and Faisal, thanks very much for having me today.
0: We'll be joined by Ty Bosada, who is the portfolio manager, and he's also a founding partner at EdgePoint Investment Group. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for another edition of More Than Money on CHQR 770. On behalf of myself, Dave, and my partner, Faisal, we look forward to chatting with you next week.